Prepare to be astonished. It's that time again. Let's get started. From the Clatsop County Historical Society, an adventure in history with Matt Burns and Alana Quila. You should never be allowed to talk to people. Some people without brains do an awful lot of talking. And now, with today's adventure, it's Mac and Alana. Good evening, and welcome to An Adventure in History. So, uh, we have some strangeness today. Yeah. Because you are not Alana. I'm not Alana. My name is Stephanie Meadows, and Alana begged and pleaded with me to come hang out with you today, which, of course, I was happy to do. So, she, I asked her if I had permission or not, and she, she, she has COVID. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, do you want you know, shall I say that or shall I just say you're not available? And she said, you know, I'm boosted and, and I'm vaxxed and, and I'm proud of that. And thank goodness that it would have been a lot worse probably. Uh, of course, she's got little kids and that's mm-hmm. the scary part for her, of course. So we wish her the best. But but on Adventure in History, what people don't know is we have this glass case that says in emergency, crack glass. And you were standing in the case. Right. Yeah, that's how that worked. <laughs> you've, been, you've been on standby for like three years now, at least. I know. It was like getting stuffy in there. Because <laughs> we've actually only had, you know, we've always had two of us as the, the co-hosts. Mm-hmm. And we had like the first month we were on the air, Dave Pearson was a special fill-in guest host, co-host. Okay. Once. Uh, used to be at the Maritime Museum, longtime curator. And then I think we had my uh, marketing guy, Sam Rasco, was a co-host once. And that's it. So you you are like only the third fill-in guest host, like when Johnny Carson goes away and somebody fills in. Well, I do feel feel very special in that case. Very special. Kind of like one of those new Jeopardy hosts. That's right. See, I dig the two of them. (laughs) I'm kind of digging. I'm I'm like re-engaged with Jeopardy. So, but tell little pe- people a little bit about yourself. Oh, my name is Stephanie Meadows. I'm a lifelong resident of Clatsop County. Um, Clatterboss is my maiden name. So a lot, most people, if they don't know my dad, then they know my mom, Nancy Clatterboss from city of Warrington. <laughs> I get that all the time. My husband and I have a radio station downtown, 94.3 KRKZ. And I think that's why Alana kind of roped me into this. See, she likes professionals because <laughs> I am not a professional. Paulette was not a professional. Julie was not a professional. And Alana eh. is. So, and you are. So, but you're a professional talker. I don't, well, I don't you're know. You're just about great that. at talking. And that's all you got to do. <laughs> so, really quickly, though, because I love, I love Clatterboss. It's just a fun name to say. Yes. What's Dutch. The, it's Dutch. Dutch. Okay. We're going to talk about different different immigrant groups today. That's going to be the theme, I think. When I was in college, actually, I studied in the Netherlands. I did one term in the Netherlands. And so we're in this big classroom full of students from all around the world. They were all international students. And the teacher who was teaching us Dutch is going down doing roll call. And he gets to my name and he's like, Stephanie Clatter- <laughs> Clatterboss? And I, I said, yeah. He says, well, aren't you Dutch? <laughs> and then he told me something really cool that uh, clatterbus actually means the sound of water in the woods. Well, that would count for here. Isn't that cool? That is cool. I, I loved like it. <laughs> so we have a guest, Judy. Hi, I'm Judy Lampy. <laughs> and, uh, and you are not Dutch. What are you? I am a Finnish descent. <laughs> okay, we're going to get all into your, your background, and uh, the only other thing, oh, we do need to talk about, because um, it happened like almost a week ago now, but Skip Howkey passing. I oh, think yes. we all feel Very that. Sad. Um, 
and I would like to say that he was a friend of the Clatsop County Historical Society, but he was friends to everything. Friends to all. <laughs> he, he helped probably every organization in Astoria and in Clatsop County at some point. His wife lent me my, uh, my costume for the Scandinavian Festival when I was a junior in high school. Oh, my gosh. I wore her costume. And he was, he was involved in the Scandinavian Festival as well, wasn't mm-hmm. he? Oh, yes. Yeah. So I, I have one Skip Hauke story. And he's been on the show a few times, so I hope people go back and listen to the archives at some point. Um, and we put some stuff on our Facebook page as well. But uh, there's so many Skip Hauke stories. But he talked about there was a lady that used to, to send her dog down to the, the grocery store with a basket and a list. <laughs> and he said we could put anything in that. It could be hamburger. It could be steak. And the dog would still walk back to the woman's house. And it would get there. The only thing they couldn't put in it was bubble gum. <gasps> the dog would eat the bubble gum. <laughs> no, no, it's a lot funnier when Skip tells that the story. That is a great story, though. <laughs> it's just so funny. It's just it's so Astoria. It's so Skip. It's so it's just I don't know. It's a perfect story. And yeah. I always think of that when I see bubble gum or a dog. So, mm-hmm. um, so let's get through the the history highlights because we have a lot of, of territory to, to cover with you, Judy. So these are of course things that happen tomorrow. So people can can have these as icebreakers, or if there's still water coolers anywhere, or if they happen to be on Jeopardy, they may they may need these this information. These are things that happened on February 28th, 1854. The Republican Party is formally organized in Rapon, Wisconsin, the party of Lincoln. Uh, 1933, on Adolf Hitler's advice, German President Paul von Hindenburg, another name that I like to say, um, German President Paul von Hindenburg signs the Reichstag Fire Decree after the building is destroyed by fire in Berlin. This eliminates many civil liberties in Germany. It's so-called the Reichstag Moment where he stages a fire in an emergency and now there's an emergency. You got to give me emergency powers. Hmm. Not good. Um, this one's good. I like this one. Also in 1933, the first female in the U S cabinet, Frances Perkins is appointed the secretary of labor. Go women. Yeah. Girl power. That's great. <laughs> on, on the cabinet. Uh, 1982, the Getty museum is endowed. The J. Paul Getty Museum becomes the most richly endowed museum on earth when it receives a $1.2 billion bequest left to it by the late J. Paul Getty. I could hang a lot of pictures with $1.2 billion. Yes, you could. I could do a lot of exhibits. <laughs> our, our endowment is slightly less <laughs> than that $1.2 Imagine million. that. Billion. billion with a B. Uh, 1983, the final episode of MASH airs. Oh, that was a good one. Did, did you both watch it? Oh, of course, yes. Was it sad? My mother cried, I do believe. <laughs> I, th- I thought it was sad with the goodbye written in stones because he couldn't say it out loud. I cry but. at everything, so it <laughs> doesn't take much for me. <laughs> but do you want to hear our connection, film history, Astoria to the final episode of MASH? Yes. There is a two-part TV movie called The Night the Bridge Fell. And even though it takes place in California, they use footage of our bridge. Hmm. And it's supposed to take place in a tourist town and the bridge has got some structural problems and the city engineer wants to tell everybody and the mayor says, no, if we shut down our bridge, it'd kill our tourism. And it's this whole like thing back and forth and some people get stuck on the bridge. It's got uh, Leslie Nielsen and Jan Brady's in it, a couple of other people, Desi Arnaz Jr. But the reason you've never heard of this is it aired against the final episode of MASH. <laughs> so, so like nobody watched it. Yeah. Um, all right, and then our history highlight of the day thing I think had the most uh, impact on history. 1953, the chemical structure of DNA is discovered 
by uh, Cambridge University scientists James Watson and Francis Crick. DNA. Very cool. I don't have much to talk about DNA, but I kind of knew it was the most important thing from that list. So <laughs> I, I can't. I can't riff. I can't. Everyone recognizes those those three little letters the, and, and the little helix design. Yes, yes. I had to make one of those as an extra credit project in a biology class once. And did you like I got copy what you saw on Jurassic Park? Or Ooh, was that? it was before Jurassic Park. Is old. <laughs> I, I made two paper plates, and then I made like a, a paper ladder. And glued it, and then the paper plates like came apart, and it twisted. And I think the biology teacher gave me an A out of pity. <laughs> I'm sure, it was wonderful. Much, much, much like most of my uh, grades throughout <laughs> schooling. All right, but something much better than that, and I don't have a good segue. So, tell us about your background. Well, my personal background is I grew up in Portland, and I had my career in Portland. I taught for Portland Public Schools. And, uh, but Astoria to me was always home because we came down here almost every weekend to my great grandparents' farm in Brownsmead and the whole family would come for the weekend. Uh, I spent a lot of time in the woods Mm -hmm. in Brownsmead as a child growing up and it just brings back such fond memories. Uh, Dinner in the middle of the afternoon and then everybody took turns taking sauna. Mm-hmm. And after that, we had to watch Hee Haw and Lawrence Welk <laughs> with Grandma. <laughs> In the morning, we got up to a big breakfast and then off to the local Lutheran church. Okay, so there's a lot to digest there. Let's back up a little bit. <laughs> okay. So you were a school teacher. What, yes. what did you teach and how did you get interested in that? Well... I'll start with my interest. I had a crush on my grade school gym teacher, and I wanted to become a gym teacher. However, that only lasted a few months because I didn't care for being a gym teacher. (laughs) So I also had my degree in health education. So I taught health education, did some environmental science, uh, developed a curriculum, and taught ethnobotany for years. We specialized in studying the indigenous people of the lower Columbia River and how they use plants for food, medicine, material. But I also put the spin in with the Lewis and Clark journals and uh, all the entries regarding the plants and then their uses of the plants. Uh, Then I moved into teaching system dynamics and computer modeling where I taught the children and teachers about critical thinking Um, and how to make computer models simulated real-world systems, let's say a predator-prey system. And uh, then I left teaching, moved here, and got a phone call from Fort Clatsop asking me to come work there. I planned on taking some time off, (laughs) but that really didn't happen. (laughs) And uh, I loved working at Lewis and Clark National Park. Well, historic National Park, Mm -hmm. I should say. It is such a cool place. I love, I go there at least once a week and just walking the trails, yeah. you know. Have you done the South Slough Trail? Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, you experienced part of my family because that was my great-grandparents, Andrew and Helma Lampy's dairy farm. So oh. when you do the South Slough Trail, you are walking around their farm. <laughs> I love that. Was it still a farm as recently as you being able to remember, like when you visited out here, or was it already? 
something no, else. No, it was no longer their farm. If I remember right, the Ness family bought it. That's correct. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I spent all my time in the other great grandparents' dairy farm in Brownsmead. Okay. So, so backing up because I, I I totally was intimidated by almost everything that you taught. Ditto, uh, ditto here. Yeah, I, I think that's kind of why we were both silent. <laughs> but but you were able to you taught like being able to with indigenous peoples able to what they used what they ate. So in a zombie apocalypse, we want you around to tell us what we should should be eating and what we shouldn't be eating. Correct. I know. I always watch that show Survivor, and I thought. I could possibly survive here in the woods around Astoria easily. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> so how big was the farm in Brownsmead? Because you, know, you drive to it today. I go there for the corn feed, of course. Uh-huh. And I don't have a concept of, I mean, I know that that uh, you know, there's, there's farms still out there and dairy farms. But, but how big are we talking? Uh, hundreds of acres. Um, my uh, great-grandparents bought the farm. Um, <laughs> they the, bought the farm <laughs> in the uh, 1890s, and uh, it was the entire area um, at the end of Aldrich Point Road. They owned the northernmost point of Oregon, and uh, it extended several miles up the road. I don't know if you know where Peterson Road is, but it went from there all the way to the river. Wow. What were their names? Uh, their names, my great-grandparents' names were Tomas Erickson, but his real name was Tweekala. But when you came to Ellis Island, a lot of Finn's names got changed, and mm-hmm. theirs got changed to a Swedish name. <laughs> <laughs> and my grandmother's name was Alexandra Nimi Erickson, both from Finland. Those see, are both names that are very familiar around here. Yeah. See, and that's why we need local people because I'm I'm still the outsider. Twenty years in, almost, and I'm still the outsider that that I don't have these connections. And yeah, that's that's why we we're glad you could fill in. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so, so talk about Brownsmead versus Astoria. Uh huh. And when you're visiting, is Astoria like, hey, we're going to take a big trip, or is that, hey, we just got to go to the grocery store, not a big deal? I mean, what what's the relationship there? Well, of course, uh, Brownsmead is a Finnish community, and uh, there's still quite a few Finns there. Um, as a child, I would stay with my grandparents, and we might come to Astoria to go grocery shopping, uh, but I really didn't spend a lot of time in Astoria. We're pretty much out there on the farm. Um, great place. Loved it. And... Uh, when my father grew up there, uh, they all spoke Finnish at home, and all the neighbors spoke Finnish. Unfortunately, my generation, fourth generation, they didn't teach us Finnish, and I wish they had. Mm. But uh, just a great, pe- great people out there. Um, I still know quite a few of the people that are now in their late 80s. Uh, my father actually translated when he was five. He went to school. And some of the kids didn't even know how to speak English. So his best friend, Lila, didn't know English. So the teacher would speak in English. My father would tell Lila in Finnish. Lila would respond in Finnish. And then my dad would tell the teacher what she said. I just love that story because I was a teacher. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. That's really cool. So so talk, you talked about Finnish a little bit. So... You don't you don't speak Finnish. No. How ingrained 
that they didn't your, that your parents didn't try to teach it to you and yet you have this very keen understanding of your heritage and you're very proud of that heritage yes so talk a little bit about that about how was it ingrained or is it just something that that you grew up with and you're always proud well i do i love my heritage and i loved listening to the stories that my family would tell i just to me knowing where you came from is so so important and i just I love talking about my heritage. I love studying it. Um, a, a lot of mine was, you know, sitting in the house listening to my father and my grandparents speak Finnish. Uh, the traditions, um, the farming, uh, Saturday night, sauna night. That's Saturday's called sauna night. <laughs> uh, we didn't participate in the Scandinavian festival because. Of course, it wasn't quite around yet when I was a kid, um, but just family, our roots, hearing stories about my great-grandparents coming from Finland. Um, my great-grandmother did not speak English, and I remember her house, I remember this wood stove, and I was told that when I was a little girl, she would sing in Finnish, and which, when she tapped her cane, I was to dance. <laughs> uh, so if I tap my cane, will you dance? Um, not at this time, because I just had foot surgery. <laughs> but other than that, you would. Of course. <laughs> I kind of like that. Mm-hmm. So um, you said sauna, and I, I meant to ask. You, you have no, a, did I they think have, she said sauna. Sauna. Yes, which is the correct way. Yeah, sauna. I say it with a New York accent, I think. <laughs> sauna. You're at the gym. <laughs> Did you have one in your in the house, in the yard? Did oh, you go could, to a public one? Oh, no. All the homes had one out there. Uh, it was separate from the house. It had a wood stove in it. Um, there was a wood stove in the house for cooking. But, you know, it's a wet sauna. And... I swear to God, I'd bring my friends from Portland when a child, and they'd last about two minutes in there because it was like 120 degrees, if not even warmer, and then the steam. And we would spend half an hour in there, no problem, with my the girls, the cousins. Only the girls went together, and the boys went together. And mm-hmm. My grandfather was first, because it's when it was the hottest. Mm-hmm. And then the generations would go down. Um, and then the fun part was running outside naked, especially when it rained because it cooled you off faster <laughs> or cold buckets of water. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> <laughs> but my grandfather started the fire in the sauna in the, you know, early in the day to get uh-huh. it that hot. So yes. Saturday morning, starting the fire and then Saturday night. <laughs> yes. Wow. That's cool. <laughs> I love this. See, I, I would last a minute. Uh, the few times that I've stepped into one, just too too hot and humid for me. Yeah. There's the sinuses. <laughs> it does. And it's good for your skin. Uh, wow. Okay. So do you do you still go to one? Do you have one in your house? Or is, well, have you have you grown out of that now? Well, uh, <laughs> my cousin now lives on the uh, family farm. Uh, so... Uh, four generations have lived there, and but I have, I haven't been in it for a long time. 
Mm-hmm. But if I ever get the opportunity to get in one, I'll be there. <laughs> <laughs> and then run around out in the snow. That's funny. Uh, probably not these days. I looked a lot better so, then. <laughs> so, <laughs> didn't we all? So discuss a little bit about the, the Scandinavian Festival and then the park. Well, um, I moved down here in 2003 and uh, I joined the Finnish Brotherhood because uh, four generations of my family belonged to the uh, United Finnish Kavala Brothers and Sisters Astoria Lodge Number 2. So I joined the lodge and um, I started going to the Scandinavian Festival after joining the lodge. My family didn't go to it. And because we were in Brownsmead, it's <laughs> a long ways to come uh, to work in the um, Finnish Brotherhood's rice pudding booth. And I'm not even going to try to say rice pudding in Finnish because I don't want to embarrass myself. I apologize to the Finnish community. Um, <laughs> and so uh, then I worked my way into being the vice president of the lodge and then the president of the lodge. And then when I left the lodge, um, I was asked to come over and do publicity for the Scandinavian Festival, which I had never done before in my life, but it was fun. I like learning new things. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, then I was asked to join the, uh, well, at that time it was called the Astoria Scandinavian Heritage Park, but the Finnish community, <laughs> No, 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 no. It has to be Nordic because Finns are not Scandinavians. What? Yeah. <laughs> okay. True. Okay. I didn't yeah. know that. Yes. A whole different dialect. I think they're more closely, forgive me if I'm wrong, more closely related to Yugoslavian language line. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry if I made the error, but it's not related to the Scandinavian countries in any way. So what would be considered Scandinavian countries? Uh, that would be Denmark, Norway, and Sweden. What about Iceland? And Iceland. Okay. Yeah. And then Finland is kind of just cut off a little bit to the side, but right. Nordic gets them in. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> Does Nordic bring anybody else in? I don't believe so. Okay. I Maybe. Don't I don't know. I would assume not. <laughs> we, would have, we would have heard about it sooner. Right. Somebody would have said something for sure. <laughs> Switzerland. Yeah. <laughs> Luxembourg. Yeah. <laughs> Some strange country in the middle of Europe. <laughs> so talk about the, the park and its genesis because construction is going on. It's exciting. It is. Uh, currently during the month of February, um, they call it in construction terms, shutdown. Uh you know, who would know that we're going to build a $1.5 million park and then have a pandemic hit and then have uh, supply chain issues? Right. Um, everything from the 60,000 pounds of granite that came here from China, shipping container shortages, ship shortages, shortages to unload it. Um, now we lumber costs, metal costs. And what's holding the park up right now is some of the metal park features. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're supposed to get those in in March. So we start construction again here in less than a week um, with one month break. Um, now, because of the pandemic, did the price go up radically? Well, mm, or did you put not in the beginning, in? but 
then when the lumber prices shot up and the metal shot, uh, metal shot up, then yes, some of our costs did increase there. But you've raised enough money. Oh yes, Thank we goodness. we we raised enough money. Because you don't have the J. Paul Getty uh, one point two billion dollars either, do you? <laughs> no, but we're really proud to say we had eight hundred plus donors. Um, some nice grants, but say uh, just a couple, the Oregon Cultural Trust and the Oregon Community Foundation, as well as many, many other more, other ones. Um, and even with what was happening in the world, uh, we did it. So what's your favorite? I know that hopefully everybody listening has seen renderings and, and they've been out there and they know what's coming. Mm-hmm. What's your favorite part of what's coming? Wow, that's a, there's so many wonderful features. I think one is the 20-foot midsummer pole. Don't call it a May pole, okay? No, that's more English. <laughs> it's a yeah, midsummer pole, okay. which is put up in the longest days of the year in June during the midsummer. Because in the Nordic countries, you celebrate that amount of daylight, which I went there at midsummer, and thank God my hotel room had blackout curtains <laughs> because there was only like one hour of daylight. Yes. I mean, no, darkness. Totally had it backwards. Darkness, darkness. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'd have a problem with that. Yeah. It's so cool. <laughs> have you been? I haven't been uh, to... The Nordic region. I'm being very careful not to say Scandinavian, but I've been (laughs) to Fairbanks that time Uh, of year, and we were out just, you know, rolling down the Chena River at midnight. I had no idea what time it was. (laughs) We're just having a good time, you know. It's very cool. That would just throw me off too much. Yeah, does throw you off. Wow. I just want to add one more thing about the Midsummer Pole here in Astoria at the uh, Scandinavian festival, there's a tradition at the top of the pole, you'll see a chicken or a rooster, which (laughs) signifies fertility. Uh, The company we hired to do the Midsummer Pole and the Gateway Arch are two big metal park features. There is a fabulous metal rooster that will be on top of the pole. And... uh, (laughs) Wait till you see it. <laughs> Very cool. It's, it's it's a wonderful sculpture they've done. I think that just became my favorite part of the, the project. <laughs> and uh, that pole will be in the middle of the arrival plaza, which celebrates um, that the Nordic people brought their culture and their traditions with them. So when you leave the Columbia River, you've arrived in America. You've come across the water. And you step onto the shoreline there, and you have arrived in Astoria. You come up the grand entrance into the park, and you have arrived. Mm-hmm. You are now in Astoria. Nice. And then you go through this tall gateway arch, which will be kind of a gateway to downtown Astoria. It will light up at night, and it has all the Nordic flags made out of glass on the inside. And those will be lit all night long. So when you drive into Astoria, you'll know there's a Nordic heritage here. (laughs) And 
what's really cool about the arrival plaza is it has inlaid stainless steel bands that are in the shape of a pinwheel. Mm-hmm. And that uh, shows that the Nordic people, when they came here, they kind of lived in their own neighborhoods, like the Finns lived in Uniontown area. Mm-hmm. And they kept their separate lives. They had their own language and their own stores and their own churches. But they came together. So these pinwheel ribbons represent the Nordic countries, and they all come together in the center at the Midsummer Pool. And their unity. That is so such a cool story. I love we're, it. We're going to have to bring you back, and, <laughs> and we're going to keep you in the glass case, Stephanie, oh, to bust any time <laughs> that Mac or Alana cannot come. But thank you both so much, and uh, thank you all for listening. Go make some history. We will catch you next week. Thank you for joining us for An Adventure in History. An Adventure in History is created and produced by the Clatsop County Historical Society and brought to you by KMUN.